Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high-interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's Upswell marketing.com. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. I'm Emily. I'm Kate. And today we're talking about approaching money well with your partner. Yeah, Joe, this is the episode that we're finally going to have our wives on. We've talked about this now for maybe a couple months, <laughs> that we do need to do this, and we actually are doing it now. We're at the beach, and we've had like what, five days now that we spent either at the beach or at the pool, and uh, we're finally going to do a little bit of work, make some work in there with some of that play. Yeah, we got a little bit of sunburn action going on. Our kids <laughs> have maybe even more sunburn, but um, yeah, super fun uh, beach vacation as a family. Tons of little kids running around, but we're so thankful to have this time together and so thankful to have our wives on the show today. So Emily, Kate, thanks for joining us on the podcast. You're welcome. 
Sure. <laughs> <laughs> They're a little shy. They're, they don't get on the podcast very often. So we have done this once before, right? A couple it's years a ago. Time, yeah. But uh, don't go back and re-listen. No, that was awesome. <laughs> I feel like it was. It went so well, and that's all, honestly why we've been wanting to do this again ever since then. We didn't go to the beach together with you guys last summer. It was two summers ago that we went to the beach together. We decided to record an episode with y'all on to talk about couples and money and finance. And so, yeah, we, we, I think we both really missed having that trip together with both of our families last summer. Uh, so we definitely got that trip on the calendar, but we also knew we were going to record as well. Yeah, and on this episode, Matt, we're going to get to some Facebook questions that our listeners uh, submitted, which are, are going to really form the basis for this episode. Yeah. But but uh, we are, are, of course, having a craft beer on this episode with our wives. Uh, today on the show, we're drinking a beer called Road Full of Promise. It's an, a double New England IPA from our friends at Monday Night Brewing, who always turn out good stuff, and we'll see if this one is good, too. And normally, you get two opinions at the end of the episode, but <laughs> there'll be four this time. <laughs> Well, on that note, right, every episode that we do when we interview a guest, we always ask them uh, what their splurge is, like what is their craft beer equivalent, because, you know, craft beer, that's one of the things that we spend decent money on. One of the first questions we had was from Lauren, and she asked, what is your craft beer equivalent? She wants to know what it is that you ladies like to spend money on. That is a great question. It's, I'm trying to think, what do I really splurge on? Um, I'd have to say probably like products like facial products, expensive serums, non-drugstore shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we're talking like snake oil? You said expensive serums. So you don't like the 99 yeah. cents uh, yeah. swab at Kroger when it's on sale? <laughs> um, you joke, but we do have a bottle of that in our shower that Joel bought one time. <laughs> That we just couldn't use. Okay, no, I, I use it. I don't care about shampoo. You're the one who splurges on shampoo, which is great. I'm glad that that's something you enjoy. I will yeah. say too, I use that same shampoo and I use it as my shampoo and my body wash. So oh, I'm like one smart. of those guys that... You just uh, two for one. <laughs> yeah. There's no need to have a separate soap for my body. It's all the same. Yeah. In my opinion, but obviously not for True. you. No, in my opinion, they should be different. Yeah. And <laughs> probably expensive. <laughs> all right, Kate, what's your splurge? Probably our front yard garden. I have spent a good amount of money on that this year. <laughs> and just in water alone, it's, oh, gosh. Yeah. it's quite the splurge. But it is a piece of my mental health, and it's a lot of our daily activities with the girls. And it's something that I really enjoy, I really love. And so that's where my money goes. Bought some fancy seeds, fancy heirloom seeds. So it's a beautiful garden. It's very expensive. Yeah, you know, well, that's something we've talked about on the show before, how it's not necessarily a garden that we are growing vegetables in because it's more efficient from a money standpoint. It actually right. costs more money to grow these vegetables and to grow these flowers versus just going to Aldi or <laughs> wherever we normally go to buy groceries. But yeah, I mean, the fact that we have kids at home now during the pandemic, like there is a lot that we're gaining from that garden, whether it be for some peace and quiet just to be able to get outside and, and work in the garden some, but also too, like you spend a lot of time teaching the girls, you know, about vegetables and like where our food comes from and kind of the work that goes into it. So it's justified. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks. Totally. All right. So on that note, next question, uh, Tom says, what's the most non-frugal thing you guys do as a couple that you feel guilty about, but do anyway. So I say Matt and Kate, y'all are up first. Well, I'll go ahead and share, man, for us, like we don't necessarily feel guilty about this, but we just got done renovating our home and we spent a chunk of money 
renovating our house and not necessarily to get it to be super high end and super fancy, but in order for it to, to have the accommodations, I guess, that we're looking for in our home, to have the utility that we were hoping to have. And I think some folks would like say that we're borderline house poor a little bit, right? Because so much of our money has gone towards our house. But for us, I think you would say, okay, like it's, I mean, it's been worth every single penny that we've put into it. And it's not something that I would necessarily recommend for lots of folks, but for us, it's been worth every single penny. Okay. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. The utility that we are getting out of that new space is amazing. So yes, we did spend a lot of money on that. And sometimes we did feel this seems like a little bit crazy, but we're very glad that it's done. All right. What's our big splurge that we feel guilty about Mm. him? Well, I feel like I'm stealing their answer, but I think it's house related as well. Like there's a lot of little projects and I don't particularly consider us fixer upper people. So we painted, we paid someone to paint the house last summer, which was great. And like little projects here and there that we've spent money on that maybe we could have done ourselves, but we've just paid someone to come in and do it. Yeah. So those purchases like that. Also, too, we live in a neighborhood with a bunch of old homes. We live in incredibly old homes. And just the choice to live in a home that's 100 years old means, by default, that you're going to spend more money on your house. And that's something that we've all kind of chosen to do. We're thankful that we live in these just awesome old homes. Uh, but they do require a little more upkeep. And um, I'm willing to also, I agree with you, <laughs> feel a little <laughs> guilty and spend the money to hire somebody to do some of these things. Uh, oftentimes that means uh, that we're able to spend more time together as a family because we're not necessarily doing all the house projects ourselves. But yeah, that's something that sometimes I do feel a little guilty about, but I think it's worth it in the end. Also, maybe takeout. I always feel a little bit guilty when we order takeout, but I love to order takeout. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right, let's keep moving along. Justine, she asks, how do you feel about your husband's sharing personal financial details on a podcast? What are some perspectives and details <laughs> that your husbands share that you have a different take on? Uh, and I guess, I'll, Emily, I'll go ahead and kick this to you. You're already laughing, so maybe you've got something in mind. <laughs> this, this is a fun little question. Uh, I will actually confess that I don't always listen to the podcast, so I don't always know what gets That's a wife shared. Burn, <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I can't blame her. We put out three episodes a week. It's a lot of content. She also already has pretty much heard everything I have to say. So. Yeah, I, I feel like I get it 24 like, why would I listen to a podcast where right. I can hear my husband talk more? Right, right. I've, already, I've already heard the story. Although there has been some funny incidences where someone's coming up and been like, oh, I heard you refinanced your house or whatnot. Tell me about that. And I am clueless as to how they knew about that until I remember the podcast. Are you like, wait, we refinanced our house? <laughs> I was like, sure, I didn't know that. <laughs> no, I shared that with her. She knows. We don't have life insurance? What? I think that really was an episode one time. I feel I feel okay with what you guys share, you know, and what we do. I feel like that's uh, part of the podcast, and I'm happy to talk about our experience and have others learn from it for for better or for worse. And I think as far as what's different than what's shared, I mean, this is true in life in general. But things always sound real nice on paper, and being frugal is such a good thing in so many ways. But you know, in the daily life to life, it looks like being a little bit cold in the winter because you don't want to turn on your heat <laughs> <laughs> or sweating in the summer because you don't want to turn on the air or, you know, just funny little quirky things like that, that it always sounds good when you hear it talked about, but plays out a little different in reality sometimes. Hmm. So just like the perception of like some of the cheap things that <laughs> yeah. we both probably do. I mean, I yeah. think Joel and I, you and I both do some cheap things that 
Like when you and I get together, we say, "Oh yeah, of course we would do that." That's that's how you save money. But then maybe to others, it's kind of like, "Oh, those are those guys are really cheap. I feel bad for their wives." <laughs> yeah, like for example, when I need shampoo and Joel comes back with, you know, the ninety nine cent suave, and then it gets in the kids' eyes and they're crying because I don't know what's in it, but like apparently it makes them hysterical. And then yeah, VO five hair- it burns extra. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's true. And then my hair is frizzy and I just look like a mess. And you think if we had just spent a little bit more in shampoo. We would all have been okay. <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> all right, what about y'all? Well, there are certain things that we've talked about not sharing on the podcast quite yet. Just things that, like, this is a slow process for me. I'm not as open of a person as Matt. And so we've talked about a few things that, or he's asked me about a few things before sharing them on the podcast to make sure that I'm yes. okay with it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like good. I got some points there. That's which, good. yeah, I really appreciate it. And so I, I feel similarly to Emily. If it's helpful for somebody, I am generally okay with it being shared. Um, we don't really have anything to hide. It's just a privacy thing for me sometimes. So you're okay with us talking about the fact that you guys won the lottery recently, right? <laughs> totally cool with that. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Just making sure. And um, when it comes to perspectives that Matt and I differ on, I think probably the easiest way to say that would be I advocate for us being for simplicity. Hmm. And so Matt tends to look at numbers very closely and take advantage of all the ways that we can maximize different things. And I tend to advocate for let's just let that go and not make that extra 1% (laughs) and let's simplify things, save your mental energy for something else. Right. Instead of only looking at things and doing things by the numbers, you're looking, you're talking about how sometimes we are looking at things from the standpoint of like, how can this make our life more simple? How can it make our life a little easier? And when you have four kids, I mean, you're looking for ways to streamline, right? I mean, I hear, I hear that in what you guys said as well, as far as paying for services. It's like, this simplifies our life and that it gives us time back with our family. I see that as amazing, right? Like that's just a really valuable thing. And so, yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that you bring that to our relationship because I know that if it was just up to me, it probably would just be about the numbers. It's like efficiency in numbers tell all. <laughs> uh, never mind everything else that, that goes into you know, what actually makes up life. So I'm, I'm glad that that's something that you're able to bring to our relationship. All right, let's not get too gooey here, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, so on that note, Alex, he wanted to know, like, what's something that you value very differently from your partner, and how do the two of you handle that difference when it comes to your finances? Uh, Emily, do you have something like that in mind for for you and Joel? Oh, definitely. I would say I value convenience at the end of the day, and if something costs a little bit more money, but it's efficient or quick or just sometimes the easiest solution I will definitely take it case in point tonight I was like nobody needs to go to the grocery store let's just go to the snack bar <laughs> like, I will feed my kids nachos we will be fine <laughs> and obviously we didn't do that it was great great call let's go and, and cook dinner and we were well fed for a great meal and much cheaper or you know I'm just more willing to buy something that I've had my eye on and Joel's more willing to shop around for it or okay. wait like a year and a half or until a, a cell phone a gets cheaper, <laughs> cheap enough where I feel like I can actually purchase it. Wait now. till there's a new one out and that one yeah. is like, it's the, now the old one. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. And so uh, let's keep talking about couples of finance. There, there are some interesting questions, by the way, later on in the episode uh, about how we talk to our kids about money that we're, that we're uh, excited to get to. 
But Andrew asks, was there ever a point in your marriage where one of you guys ever felt overwhelmed by the other being obsessed with finances? My wife sometimes gets annoyed with how often I talk about finances and trying to find new techniques of saving, such as changing cell phone plans or insurance or asking about financial goals and like those sorts of things. Yeah, so, Andrew. <laughs> he fit in with us. So uh, how, do you, how do you find that happy medium in your relationship? Andrew, your wife and I should be friends. <laughs> I'm sure we would have a lot to talk Some about. Some horror stories. <laughs> Some survivor tips. (laughs) I mean, yes, there are definitely points in our marriage where your thoughtfulness, I will say, about money uh, takes up time and space and is just a different way of thinking than than how I would think about it. So sometimes it is annoying, just like I know there are things that I do that annoy Joel, I think. In the end, very grateful that it contributes to the big picture of being able to save money and get to where we want to be. You know, in in the large picture, um, but yeah, there are times it's it's annoying to have to switch cell phone plans. I mean, <laughs> we did that this year, and <laughs> yeah, it was last year. Last year, last year, yes, yes. Sure. But but in particular, I think early on in our marriage was was when you were the most overwhelmed. Yes, because I was really bad at communicating it. Like I knew in my head what I wanted to accomplish, and I didn't have a good way of talking to you about it. And so I know that. Uh, that you felt overwhelmed quite a bit when it came to to money stuff mm-hmm. just because I didn't know how to talk about it well with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we've grown in, you know, married almost 10 years now. That's something that we've grown in quite a bit or in, and I've gotten at least a little bit mature <laughs> in, in talking to you about money and kind of why I'm doing some of the things that I'm doing or why I want us to think about money or how we spend it or how we save it in a certain way. Yeah. I'll say I think parameters around those differences has been really helpful. Like I wanted a new pair of tennis shoes and I knew what I wanted and could have ordered them right then. But Joel wanted to look around. And so I said, here's 24 hours to look around and find me a deal. And then I'm ordering a pair of tennis shoes. And and it, and it's great. And he found actually a great deal on tennis shoes that I really liked within 24 hours. So I think just those kind of boundaries have really helped Mm -hmm. us meet somewhere in the middle for me to say, I really want this. It's important can we do it by then and then kind of give you the space to do what you want to do? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about you? Do you feel that there, there's a way that we've sort of met in the middle a little bit? Yeah. I don't think I would ever have described you as obsessed with finances. I'm a pretty balanced guy, right? You have other things that you're interested <laughs> in. You, you just like learning. So you have all of these hobbies that you want to just learn more about and finance is just one of those. So it's not like Matt's constantly talking about finance around the house. I think that's intentional also because we don't want to model for our kids that that's the most important thing and that's the thing Mm. we like to talk about the most. So we don't talk about it all the time. I also think that Matt has probably realized at this point that it's not actually good for our relationship for him to talk about anything that much so like he can't even talk about bikes obsessively i'm gonna get annoyed or like gardening he couldn't talk about gardening anything constant like i need space and time to hear what's being said and form a thoughtful response or opinion so anything that's talked about constantly is overwhelming for me so that's just a communication thing for Mm -hmm. us So we do talk about finances a good bit, but it's usually at a set time and we kind of go into that conversation knowing what we're going to discuss so that it isn't something that's like this constant flood and I feel constantly underwater trying to keep up with the newest whatever in finance. So 
I appreciate that. I think that's something that has taken us years to come to because there have been times when we talked about finances too much and it was too hard for me, it got too overwhelming. So I sympathize with this guy's wife. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's the answer Andrew is looking for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think part of the answer too is, is not necessarily like meeting in the middle and compromising, but almost finding an appreciation for what the other is bringing to that relationship, right? And so like, Emily, what I'm hearing you is like, yeah, like yes, you've set parameters like you've set a time limit but it's in the end you've been able to appreciate and realize what it is that Joel's going for which is like he wants you to have the shoes but he just wants you to get them on sale <laughs> you know exactly uh and so it's, it's not like he's trying to find a deal maybe less than he was before but it's sort of like I don't know just appreciating maybe what the other person what it is that they're seeking after I feel like can really help yeah I think at times in those discussions it felt like to Emily that I didn't want her to do something or to have something. And I was like, no, that's not it. Like, and so we, yeah, those were the kind of discussions that we had to have. So she, she could see my intention and what, what I was thinking behind the scenes. And that just had to come out in order for us to have productive discussions about money. Nice. And then one last question here in this first section before we, before we break, but Cynthia, she wonders, how do you balance different approaches and interest levels in money management so that one partner doesn't carry the burden or seems like the uh, the final decision maker on everything. Emily, go ahead and pitch this one over to you first. I think we strike the balance through communication largely. And I think also because I have to notice um, and be aware that some things that I want are emotional or personal or sensitive. And I have to just communicate what those items mean to me. I think when we spend money on them or when maybe he wouldn't want to spend pull the trigger and spend money on that. And I would, and we just kind of have to communicate through that. I think we also strike a balance is that there's some categories that are just black and white that are really helpful. Like how much do we want to spend on children's clothes or the grocery budget that we're trying to aim for? So that helps. And then we just spend time communicating over what it is we need or what we want. Or then for a while I was the one who tracked all the budgets and that felt overwhelming. And so we had to communicate about that and it kind of switched around the way we did do it so it is it's not a constant dialogue and that I'm as interested in it as Joel and so we're always talking about finances as much as it is we just kind of have to sit down sometimes and have a meeting and make sure we're on the same page over any spots that we might have a difference on yes Emily I completely agree with that I think for us it's we have a similar interest level in reaching our financial goals so we come to money management and to those conversations with just different pieces of that puzzle. Matt comes with all of the numbers. He does all of the bill pay. He does all of the categories, but the budget was built together. And I come with like the family dynamic portion of that or family culture portion of that conversation. And so we can come together and put the, the money details with the family culture details and come to some agreements together. So Yes, he is the money person in our house, but it doesn't feel like he's the final decision maker because he's the money person. Um, and we don't talk about all of our purchases. We have categories for each child. We have categories for each other. We have categories for entertainment and things like that. And most of those categories I spend out of knowing what we've budgeted for that without ever consulting Matt before I make a purchase. Yeah, so there's a lot of things that we do communicate on, like the overarching goals. But then when it comes to like the the just the day to day, month to month, you know, gritty details, like we don't sit down and have a, a conversation at the beginning of every month saying, "What should our entertainment budget be this month?" or, or "How much should we spend on on groceries?" 
Um, like we, that's just kind of automatic at this point. We've created a budget enough to where this is not an ongoing discussion. But yeah, when it does come to some of these bigger goals and you know what we're doing to achieve those goals, that is something that we come together and we talk about. And it's worth noting too. I would say that you don't come to the you know these conversations with 100% of the family culture in mind, and I don't no, come to the conversation true. with 100% of the money details. That's true. And maybe it's more like 80/20. You know, like I might come to it with maybe 80% with money in mind and 20% of our family goals, and maybe it's you know vice versa with you. But obviously, we both have some input on what we want our family to look like, as well as the goals that we set. Yeah, I agree. I would. I always welcome a conversation that is goal oriented, and I hardly ever have a conversation with Matt when it comes to like, I want to buy something for myself or something for the girls. It's just not part of the conversation. We try to talk about the bigger things that matter so we can save our energy for other things. Honestly, <laughs> Which is important because we have less energy these days. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, it, it's helpful when you're talking about how couples handle money and, and how Emily and I handle money together is kind of what our individual strengths are. And so Emily is so much better at uh, the details than I am. I'm more of a big picture person. So I might have like the wacky ideas or just kind of maybe a bigger move I want us to think about or a direction I want us to pivot into. And she is so helpful at one, giving me the the reasons why maybe my idealistic or, or overly optimistic ways of thinking, um, maybe in the ways that they need to be challenged. And then at the same time, you're so good at the implementation when we do decide to, to do something different. Yeah. So I feel like it's really important when you're talking about money with your significant other, like where are your strengths and how can you help each other out when it comes to, to handling the, paying the bills or thinking about the future. And so Emily, you handle the spreadsheets too. Like I don't <laughs> handle the spreadsheets. I send you invoices for rental property stuff. I'm day to day managing tenants and stuff like that, but you're kind of handling those, those other parts that I hate doing and I'm not good at doing. And so, yeah, I think in any, uh, conversation between two people who love each other and want to handle money well together. It's really important to see which strengths you have and which strengths your partner has, and then kind of to fit them together in the best way possible. Nice, man. Well, these have been some awesome questions, but I feel like even better answers from our wives. And I also feel that we're, we're kind of just getting warmed up. We're it's real different talking into a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, y'all are doing great. Uh, and so we're going to take some more of these questions, specifically some ones uh, having to do with kids. We'll get to those right after this break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations 
get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, we're back from the break. We're talking about approaching money well with your partner. And Matt and I, we've brought our, our partners on this episode. My wife, Emily, sitting to my left. Uh, Matt, your wife, Kate. I've got Kate. I guess we should have said who our wives were at the beginning. Like we said the names, <laughs> but did we like link them directly with us? So it's, it's Matt and Kate. It's Joel and Emily. That's right. Yeah. There you go. So, so we've got some more questions. We're going to get to questions about raising kids and what that looks like and, and how we handle money in light of, of raising children. But the first question I wanted to make sure we hit on what came from Megan. She said, what was or is the most unexpected expense you guys have ever dealt with? Oh, geez. Well, we've already talked about ours, which is definitely our home renovation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we thought we knew how much that was going to cost and we were wrong. Oh, so so basically, it's not the fact that you you budgeted for something, but obviously oh, yeah. it went uh, above and beyond. Right, which we're very I mean, unfamiliar with that feeling. Yeah, because normally when it comes to budgets, like you you stick with it, but it's like a home renovation when it comes to just working with builders. 
they have no concept of sticking to a budget. It's like, no, I'm sorry, like we can't do that anymore. It's like, but that's what that's what we planned on. <laughs> it's much different than managing a household and, and having a budget. Uh, a renovation costs a lot of money, so that yeah. yeah, that's that's definitely an easy one. Okay, what's ours, Em? I would say maybe medical expenses. Yeah, just sick kids or sick doctor visits or child who was constipated and <laughs> had to have a $300 x-ray to find out she was <laughs> full of poop. So <laughs> yeah, those that's, are, that's life as a parent though, right? <laughs> yes. That's a separate podcast. We don't <laughs> Hospital bill shock is the worst. It is. So you can even say for unexpected medical expenses, but it is always yeah. more expensive than you think. And I remember our middle child, we got a bill for her delivery you know you get multiple bills one from the doctor one from the hospital blah 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 and i distinctly remember getting one when after she had turned one yeah she was 18 months old yeah and it was just i was like how is that even possible i didn't think that that could happen but apparently uh, the doctor's office doesn't have to send you it uh, the bill in a timely manner and so that 600 hundred dollar bill showed up and i was like you gotta be kidding me like i thought we had finished paying off her birth so that that's the biggest unexpected expense i remember but yeah i think medical bills are are high up there (laughs) for sure for a lot of people in this country but definitely for our family Mm -hmm. dude don't even get us started with uh health care costs when it comes to birth specifically being self-pay and being on one of the the health sharing plans. But uh, so Lydia, she has a question and she asked, how did you prepare financially for your wives to stay home when you had children? What are some of the financial benefits of having a stay at home parent? And Emily, I'll go ahead and kick this one to you because I feel like a lot of folks are in that position where they were both working out of home in two separate full-time positions and, you know, and then they decided to maybe have a family. So yeah, how did you guys approach that? I think we began by creating different revenue streams. So the rental homes were really crucial to that. So I actually think by the time I started staying home, which was not right when we had our first child, it was a little bit after. But at that point, what I was making, we were close to making that in... Rental uh, property income? In rental property. So I do think that was a great strategy. And that that was really the whole purpose behind buying rental homes Mm -hmm. was, okay, if we want to continue to live on a certain amount of money per year, well, how else are we going to be able to make income if you want to stay home? And that was something that we debated for a long time. And we weren't sure whether, whether you were going to or whether you wanted to. And then it ended up where you felt compelled to. And we were glad, we were glad that we planned ahead for that. Yeah, I will say one of the biggest financial advantages to stay at home parent, we really saw when we had two children. And I was working for a nonprofit at the time. And Uh, was literally going to cost more for two children in daycare than it was for what I was making. So that was a fairly easy decision in that sense to stay home. So I think that's a huge benefit. I think there are a lot of other financial benefits. I will say mentally is probably one of the biggest benefits for our family, just juggling Joel's career and work responsibilities. And then also me being able to juggle more family and, work that in. And if a kid gets sick, I'm able to stay home. I feel like that dynamic has really helped a lot mentally, uh, not just financially. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot to consider, right? When you're debating staying home with the kids instead of like staying in the workforce, it's not just about the money. There's, there's lots of aspects of our lives that we need to consider. So Kate, how about you? Well, it was a little different for us because Matt and I were working together full time on our own business. So It wasn't like we had two separate incomes and we were looking to replace one of our incomes. I was looking to step out of that business after our second daughter was born and 
so for us, it just meant having a bigger emergency fund because our expenses, we we're used to our expenses being variable and we knew that it could fluctuate once I stepped out of it. But really, I don't know that the business took a 50% hit when I left. Like Matt was able to pick up a lot of what I had been doing and I did work still part-time for a while. Yeah, you did. But yeah, it wasn't like we had replaced my income with something else. I just sort of slowly stepped out and we adjusted our budget based on what Matt could make on his own. Yeah, for us, I feel like it's way less typical than what most folks are dealing with because it was a very gradual change, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, cool, it's almost like the business is the same, but then it's starting to slow down a little bit. It's not like, you know, we we, we aren't pumping out the same amount of work that we used to. We're not making the same amount of income. And so I, I don't feel that a lot of folks are in that position, but still interesting to share for sure. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, I saw a stat recently that most couples would like for one of the partners to be able to stay at home, but our current economy has just changed the family dynamic and the income needs. So many jobs in the United States just don't pay as much as they did in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, uh, equivalent to today's dollar. And so and so oftentimes each person in, in the partnership feels like they need to work in order to, to make ends meet. And I totally understand that. But I did find that fascinating that most people wish that, that one person could stay at home. Um, and, you know, that's something that we weren't sure about. But when we wrestled uh, and we, we found a way to make it work money wise, because we did decide that for our family, that's that's what we wanted life to look like. Yeah, I think that was similar for us. We did make some changes to our budget in order to make that happen. Like we had to scale back in some areas in order to prioritize one of us being home. So we couldn't keep up spending the way that we had, um, which actually we were happy to find out once we had a child that it was okay that we had scaled back a lot of things because we just weren't as mobile. We weren't traveling as much. We weren't going out as much. That's so definitely true. <laughs> it, it actually kind of worked out. Um, that we were spending less naturally anyway, but that was part of me being able to step out of the business was us cutting our entertainment. It was us cutting our personal accounts pretty far back so that we could make that happen. Yeah, sure. So on that note, right, on the, the professional life, Kristen asks, uh, given that you're both staying at home, so she, this is to you wives, of course, uh, do you worry about missing out on future career opportunities? So for example, getting out of the career game, having a gap on the resume, and if so, how are you preparing for it? I do feel like I, I did really struggle with the decision to stay home because I really like working and I liked what I did and I was, it was hard to step back. And I would say definitely there's a lot of moments that I still worry about missing out or I, I think being home with my children and saying no to opportunities that have come across my path is one of the hardest things about being a stay-at-home mom and then just knowing that there are these opportunities you could reach for or grab for that would be great. That'd be fun work to do that would build your resume, would build what you want to do. And just to say no to them is tough. But I think I've prepared for that partly mentally, just knowing it's a season. I mean, our kids are the oldest is six, so they're still all very little and there will be a season in which they're all in school and working is going to be much easier. So I just kind of know that that's the case. And I do think the opportunities will be there. Uh, the job that I worked for in the past has also still will come have me do contract work here and there. And I usually say yes to those kind of opportunities just to kind of keep my foot in the door. And I'll also say, even though I'm not necessarily in a workplace, I'm in a school, I'm in uh, like our YMCA. I have made a ton of connections because I am staying at home and I'm with a lot of other 
moms or other organizations like, you know, like schools that I'm involved in that I think if I needed to find a job, I could network pretty well. I just think it's opened up a lot of opportunity relationally. So for me, I feel like I know that once there's time, I will step back into some kind of work. Matt and I have experience starting a couple different businesses. So it's work is something I view very fluidly. I feel like I can, um, work is fluid. I like that. (laughs) Well, I mean, we've started and stopped things and I don't think a lot of, I don't know that everybody's experienced like, okay, I'm done with this career path and I'm going to shut this down and then I'm going to start something else because my interests have changed or my abilities Mm. have changed. And so I feel like once everybody's in school, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing what I will start. I have no idea. I mean, I, it will be probably some kind of art related career and, that's close to all I know about that right now. <laughs> so, because we're also about six years from that. Yeah, because I don't think about it a ton. But I also know that if we needed me to, I would just go get a job. Like Emily said, I would be able to kind of tap the networks that we have currently. And I would get a job if I needed to financially. But I look forward to one day starting something new. And because that's the position I'm in, I'm not worried about these years right now, not doing something. Yeah, that's so good. And I think that's so true, too, of our generation and how we view work. I feel like our like older generations, like Gen Xers and, and beyond, they might view work as mo- sort of like this thing that once it's done, it's done. You know, it's like, OK, my, my work career is, is, quote unquote, over. But I feel like so many of folks in our positions and in, in, of our generation they do see work a little more fluid. They see it as something that like, well, I want to try this for a couple of years. And, and then after that, I want to try this. And then let's see if we can get this off the ground. It's something that you can start and stop. And, and there's just different, you know, smaller pieces versus just this one giant piece that takes, you know, all of your effort to move at all. Yeah. And I think that resume gap certainly worries a lot of, of women who do want to stay home or men who want to stay home with their kids for a, a handful of years. And then they want to get back into the same profession that's certainly something that could hold down your wages and, and that can be hard to overcome. But I, I completely agree, Matt. I think the dynamic has changed in, in recent years. And, and in particular, uh, our generation has the ability to, to create uh, their own business so much easier. It's so much easier to do that than it was decades ago. And at the same time, that kind of unspoken contract that you're going to stick with a, an organization or a firm for 30 years and then retire that's not there either. So you're, you're kind of expected to move around. And I do think that that makes it a little bit easier for the stay at home partner uh, to, to not necessarily lose out on a massive amount of income uh, due to those years where, where they're not in the workforce. I would also say being a stay at home mom doesn't mean that you're not active and taking on projects. There, a lot of them are just volunteer based. And I would definitely include a lot of the things I've done on a resume, even though I wasn't necessarily employed for them. There's, planning retreats there's you know cooking for large events like there's being on boards being I mean, on yeah, boards it's, like it's all experiential right there's so many things that i think would be very valid to put on a resume yeah just because it's not a job mm-hmm. <laughs> from a company mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's not resume worthy material that you're churning out in your mm-hmm. daily life mm-hmm. i totally agree with that all right and then crystal also chimed in on the kid front she said what approaches do you all have with regards to teaching your kids about money and how to build healthy and responsible mindsets around it? I think this is a good one for all four of us to kind of talk about. But we'll start with Kate. Um, I think the most important thing we are trying to teach the kids right now is that 
money is the result of work that you're not just entitled to anything that you want so we give the girls little jobs here and there or they can ask for jobs if they want to make money but that is how they are able to earn money is through their jobs that they do to benefit our household or others and so that's a big piece of what we're teaching them right now they're six and under so we're not getting too complicated with it I think we are trying to balance that with modeling generosity and teaching them to be generous too that money isn't just something that you hoard yeah that's what our conversations are mostly about I mean if they earn ten dollars over the course of a month and they want to spend it on something ridiculous we totally let them do that we're not trying to control every move they make and encourage them to save up more so they can buy like a bike like if they've saved for three weeks or a month then I think we generally applaud that yeah. Um, so yeah, money coming from work and then, um, just being generous with that as well. So, yep. Yeah. You know, essentially any lesson that we can teach our kids where we truly are linking work to money, but at the same time, it's a balance between that and not just generosity, but work that they are supposed to be doing no matter what. This is something we talked about recently on a show. But there are certain tasks that the girls do around the house just because they're part of the family, right? And, you know, we joke that we'll ask them to do something and they'll ask, like, will I get paid? <laughs> and we say, no, you're going to do that because you're just a part of the family. Uh, it's not something you're going to get paid for, but you still have to do it. Uh, and so there's a balance there between linking work and money, but also work as, like, you got to do that because you're just part of the family. But yeah, Joel and Emily, do y'all have some specific approaches on, on how y'all are, are teaching the kids about money? I think we do similar to you guys. I think those are two important things we try to hit home. I also think we try to instill gratitude with money so that a trip to get ice cream is a big deal. Like it's a treat and we want them to tell us thank you or to tell them whoever treated them to ice cream. Thank you, Just not just out of politeness, but to recognize that these it's a treat that money is hard earned by someone and basically we don't want them to take money for granted yeah i think too actually interesting kate that you brought up uh not necessarily making them save for for something even bigger or whatever and that's something that we have had to change in our approach to parenting and money recently is there were times where they would just want a toy any toy and they're like i'll spend my money on any toy and and so we would sometimes go to the dollar store and they might get something that would break within an hour. <laughs> and that just, that was such an unfulfilling experience. And I hated seeing them spend their money on something that went in the trash. Hey, Daddy, know. this is crap. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Why did you let me buy this? So, so we have tried to help instill a little more long-term thinking when, uh, when we're talking about how they use their money. And so you know, when we went to Disney World earlier this year with, with Emily's mom, it, that was one of those things. Okay, you guys uh, can do certain things to earn money now. And that money is going to be saved for this experience and something that you can buy that's tangible on, uh, on that day in the park. And so, yeah, anything that we can do to, to help them realize that their money is squandered if it's spent on something that you know it doesn't last very long uh, and and try to help them to see that finding value with every purchase and that's obviously impossible or incredibly difficult to teach really small children but that's kind of at least somewhere where our heads are at in how we're talking to them about money 
All right, last question on kids. Susie wants to know, what are your best hacks to keeping parenting costs low while also maximizing kid experiences? Emily, why don't you start this one off? Mm. Let's say, our, again, out of our seven children, the oldest are six. Six and younger. It's so Seven children. Y'all have three. We have four. Collectively. <laughs> Collect- sorry. Yeah, yeah. Collectively. <laughs> no, we do not have seven on our own. Collectively. It's like a Disney musical or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll say at those ages... Uh, lots of little things are still pretty magical. And so I think we try to take the time to stretch out the magic of say sidewalk chalk or just anything small. And and that can go a long way, which is an inflatable pool in the front yard all summer long. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's true story. This is what we do. Uh, So little things like that go a really long way. And I think that kind of goes back to instilling the attitude of gratitude, not just assumed that these things are, joys that we get to have and experience they're not necessarily given and I think that kind of goes into little ways to stretch it I would also say play dates I mean other kids are the best form of entertainment for my children (laughs) better than new toys sometimes so we do lots of play dates I agree with everything that Emily has said all the small things we tend to make magical any holiday any holiday we make up any holiday that's real. Like we made up holidays? <laughs> yeah, we'll have a donut day. You know, <laughs> we'll have a donut day for sure. And it will be a big deal because we will talk all day about getting donuts and then eventually we'll go get a donut or we'll make it. And that's what I was going to say. I think just Googling like DIY anything your kid is interested in has been really helpful for us to make something that a kid wants an experience so if we build something together or instead of going to buy a swing for the backyard matt pulls out rope and we like rig it around a tree and we spend hours yeah, on that was that. Fun. that was really fun <laughs> they wanted a swing we made a swing but just building something together and learning along the way and having fun along the way kind of stretches out they get the treat or they get the thing that they're looking for but we built it together so it's an experience and that's not to say that we don't spend any money on experiences for kids. We definitely do our, but we, what we do spend is very intentional. It comes with a lot of intent. So we're spending for impact. We're not spending just because the opportunity is there and it seems like it would be fun. It's something that we've thought about and um, we think would be a good fit for our kids. So we do spend money on our kids' experiences. But for the most part, we try to minimize that. Yeah, and just starting at home with what you already have, that's probably the maybe it's the first step in saving money is not spending any, right? Yeah, embracing some of the, the free stuff too that we have access to, Yeah, uh, especially the outdoors is, is something that we, we like to do. Yeah, but I think those are, are some good thoughts. Uh, all right, we got some more questions we want to get to, including questions about frugal recipes and date nights and also the high costs of female maintenance. <laughs> so we'll get to some of those <laughs> right after this break. <laughs> Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. 
That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, we're back for the break. And I wanted to mention, too, we never talked about how we're set up here in this rental house. We're at the beach. And if folks watched like the quick story on Instagram, but we've got like bedspreads hooked up to the, to the, uh, to the blinds <laughs> to help make it less equi in here. Have y'all heard any kids crying like in the background? No, unfortunately I, not. They're in bed. Yeah. It's kind <laughs> of a miracle, wood. to be honest. Uh, yeah. But I just want to applaud ourselves maybe for, for actually doing <laughs> yes. this. I think this is going pretty great. But let's go ahead and dive into these questions. We've got a few more uh, for this episode. And Cindy asks, are your wives into biking as much as you guys are? We do, do you, talk about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we do talk about it. Kate, what, what's your response to that? I do love biking. I love family bike rides. It's not something that I... Um, go out and do by myself, but I love what it does for our family and getting out and being able to talk and wave to neighbors and just getting around the city that way is super fun. I think Matt has a fancy bike and I have a normal bike. And so maybe that (laughs) reflects how we feel about biking, but, um, it is something that I enjoy. Yes. 
I certainly have put more of my personal funds towards bicycles than you have. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> uh, Emily, you have a bike. I do. It's, it's not super fancy either. <laughs> no, it's not. And it's like an old vintage bike. That we I've had yeah. it for several years. And a true story, about a month ago, we were on a long bike ride and the gears finally unstuck. And I guess <laughs> I realized I had been riding in about second gear all these years and was wondering why it was so difficult sometimes but now i have three gears that kind of work <laughs> <laughs> i was very i was very excited about that so you're definitely not a bike maintenance enthusiast <laughs> no i'm not that's fair to say but i do love biking and a lot of times i'll take evening rides by myself i mean i enjoy family rides but i also love going by myself i also love spin classes it's not like quite the same as biking that you guys enjoy but i do enjoy that kind of biking yeah yeah, no, I'd say you guys like craft beer, which uh, I think Matt and I both appreciate. You guys like biking, so it's nice to connect on levels that uh, of things that we care about a lot. Uh, Lisa had a question. She said, please share your frugal recipes. I remember one person saying on the show at one point in time that they have uh, the cost down to like $2 a person per day to feed their family. Matt, that's you. <laughs> and also, uh, Bernice specifically wants to know the bread recipe that's been mentioned on the show before. So, all right, frugal recipes. Do y'all have any quick ones to share with us? Well, first, I'll say it wasn't. It was never two dollars a person. It was. It was one dollar per meal per person. That was the cheapest we ever got it. Which it's still pretty cheap. Yeah, definitely cheap. But we, I mean, we still we still eat pretty well though. Yeah, that was what I was going to add. I think we could get it cheaper than that, but it wouldn't be wouldn't be as enjoyable. So. <laughs> You can always make everything cheaper, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and ruin it point, in the process. It just suffers, yes. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got three gears. I mean, you could have no gears, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't for a couple years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think, Emily, you've done a lot of cooking research recently, and, and I feel like been intentional about like upping the food quality that we eat in our house. And um, yeah, do you have any favorite recipes that you've you found or any any new ways of going about cooking that you've enjoyed that you feel like saved us money i'll say the homemade bread recipe which we'll have to share that kate created is a big one we that's a staple in our house all right we'll have to put that in the show notes of course let's do it so it's hard to give specific recipes but just generally how i am approach it is that we shop at costco or anywhere where i can get some decent meat in bulk at a good price and then freeze it. And so regularly I'll pull out like chicken thighs that I cook in an Instapot with just different seasonings and different kind of flavors of broth. And so that kind of creates, it's super quick and easy and affordable, but creates a bunch of different flavors and serve it over different things. And so that's kind of easy, cheap, versatile. We eat a lot of eggs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eggs are, are huge and they're big, big, uh, they're filling. They're good for you, and they're inexpensive. It's true. I would actually love to know how many eggs we've gone through while on vacation oh my between gosh. our oh my two gosh. families. Yeah. So many eggs. <laughs> it's been a lot. Yeah. Yes. I agree with Emily. It's hard to give a specific recipe, but our approach to food in order to keep the quality high but the cost low is we really minimize the amount of meat that we eat. Um so basically the opposite of what Emily just said. <laughs> we eat a lot of meat. You guys do eat a lot of meat. And yeah. like for us, well, I feel like I'm stealing your thunder a little bit, but like, yeah, like how do you approach meat when it comes to our meals? Kate? Um, I feel like meat for us is more of a, it's usually 
within a sauce there's just really a big piece of meat on the plate so it's a topping usually like on top of a salad or it's part of a taco it's not it's not like taking up a section of the plate it's on top of something or in something um if we're having meat usually yeah, it's there. It's adding flavor a lot of times, in particular if it's pork or bacon or something like that. But it's not like yeah. something that you're just chewing on, right? Yep. Like if you're, we're not ever really just chewing on meat. <laughs> no, there's something else in there. It's usually yeah. vegetables. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think because I'm looking for nutrient dense and I'm looking for cheap. And so that really equals vegetables for us. So usually at meals, we have at least two vegetables, often a lot more vegetables per meal. So there's just so many different ways that we prepare them. But a lot of the ways I prepare them is done ahead of time um, because I don't have a ton of focus around 4.30ish when I start to cook dinner. A lot of things are prepped a day before, done in bulk a couple days out or pickled last week or whatever. So that's how we get a lot of vegetables on the plate without spending a ton of time on it and keep things healthy and very affordable. And it keeps our vegetables from going bad. Yeah, and so much of the keeping the cost down when it comes to, to meals, one, eat eggs. <laughs> and then two, just don't eat out very much. I mean, I think that's yeah. typically the biggest cost killer, the budget killer for, for so many families is last minute. And and to be honest, sometimes in our family, that's the thing that's the hardest. It's like, oh, it's busy. We haven't planned ahead. We're just going to, we're going to get something out. And, you know, a $40 meal to feed four people. Well, instead, if it's a dollar per person per meal, you know, that dinner could have cost five or $6 as opposed to, you know, $40. And it really is. I mean, it's a substantial difference going out to eat or getting takeout versus cooking at home. Even if you're cooking with the nicer ingredients, right? Like, like a nice yeah. chicken thigh. Or vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying even if you're eating expensive meat. An expensive meat, yes. It's cheaper totally. to do that and eat at home than it is to eat out. All right, and uh, Brittany wants to know, uh, she says, I would love for you guys to talk about some of your most cost-effective date night ideas. So what are those? M, I'll start with you. I would say one of the best things we do to keep costs down is we swap childcare on date nights. So, (laughs) you know, one night, like say Joel and I are going to go out to dinner. We put our kids down and Matt comes over and sits in the den, you know, and babysits the kids while we go out. And then the next week it's, we swap. So finding someone to swap childcare, because I think childcare oftentimes would be more expensive than whatever activity we're doing that would cost more. So Swapping childcare has been huge in making it cost effective. Yeah, if you got to get a babysitter once a week, <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna crush your yeah. your entertainment budget. Yeah, it's, I mean it's cost prohibitive, right? Like when there's that expense mm-hmm. that's there, like it even keeps you from wanting to do it all together, and that's obviously that's terrible for your relationship, right? If you're not spending that quality time with your partner. I'll also say even especially during quarantine and when we've not really been able to go out. Just marking a night as special and setting that aside has been uh, pretty nice. That's actually helped. So the kids will eat an earlier dinner and we'll have dinner just the two of us later. And it may not even be that different or that extravagant. But for us mentally, we've just kind of carved out that time and called it a date night. And that's very cost effective. But it's also just kind of helped get into that mentality. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be going out on the town. It can be at home. It can be done at home. And with quarantine, it's like had to be done at home. I feel like we used to spend a lot of money. We would go to nicer restaurants or if there's a new restaurant, we are absolutely going to be there. And I think we've realized more over the last probably two or three years 
that just the experience of going somewhere together without the kids is it's all we need. So Mm -hmm. sometimes we will just go to a brewery and just sit there and um, taste some beers and have a good conversation. We've biked before, Mm -hmm. but just for us right now, what date nights need to look like is just space for us to sit across from each other and have an uninterrupted conversation about beer or, I mean, it doesn't have to matter. It can be whatever. Sometimes it really does need to matter and it's about parenting and it's serious, but a lot of times we just need to remember to enjoy each other and have fun and that doesn't cost very much money. So we go to some of the same neighborhood spots that are really chill. We sit on a patio and it doesn't break the bank. Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes we even eat ahead of time. I mean, like Emily, you mentioned like a meal with the kids and then you have your meal like later. Like we have our, a meal with the kiddos and sometimes like, I mean, Kate mentions beer or like dessert or something like that, which is rare. But sometimes we will just kind of go out and we just need a space where we can sit there. And yeah, like you said, like actually look at each other and, and have those conversations. So let's say we also play a lot of games. Yeah, we've been playing a lot of games here on this vacation already. I haven't won yet, which I'm really upset about. (laughs) But I'll get over it. I'm really Literally, happy about you are that. the only person who has not won a game <laughs> yet, which is kind of odd. I feel like you're, you're not quite on, but on that note, we probably are going to go ahead and wrap this one up here uh, so that we do have some time to, to play maybe another game tonight. But all right, Joel, you've got one more question for the wives. Yeah, no more Mr. Nice Norwegian. I'm coming for y'all tonight, okay? I'm going <laughs> to win. <laughs> I'm going to take you down. All right, but uh, Kristen wants to know, do you ever feel frustrated that woman maintenance costs are, are so much more than, than what they are for a man. My spending on basic makeup, hair, prescription, skincare routine, all that kind of stuff makes me the top spender in my family. Is there any way to work around it while still managing to look good? I can't answer this question. So I'll, uh, Kate, <laughs> this one Emily? is directed specifically <laughs> yeah. to, to the ladies. Yes, yes, that is frustrating. It is so much more expensive to be a woman. I grew up with a brother and a single father, and he read an article one time that girls cost 17% more money. And so that was like always a running joke that my dad had to spend 17% more money <laughs> on, <you. laughs> on his daughter. And he didn't understand it. His, my brother and he were so confused, but uh, yes, <laughs> it is frustrating. And especially since I like love hair products and kind of fun, girly things like that, that can be more money. I'll say I usually, a lot of times will ask for those for Christmas presents. So, you know, or Christmas or birthday, or if, Mother's Day, things like that. I kind of usually have a few things tastefully hint at that I might <laughs> that I might like. I also kind of have a routine. Like I think I find some a product that might be expensive, but I know what I like, and I just kind of buy that repeatedly. And if it ever goes on sale, I'll stock up on it. Little little things like that. And Kate, uh, what are your thoughts there? This is a conversation that Matt and I have had, so we have budgeted for that, and so. The way that we approach budgeting is that once we've put that money aside, it's there for me to spend it and it's not there for me to feel bad when I do spend it. So yes, there is more money in my category than Matt's. In the Kate category. (laughs) The Kate category is, yeah, there's just a little bit more in there because I do spend more on things like products than than Matt does. But then Matt buys a bike and then for the next five years, we're even. (laughs) (laughs) So that's for real. Yeah. Maybe more than five years for sure. I don't spend that much money. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I do think that one of the things that I love so much about budgeting that I never thought I would say that phrase ever is it gives me freedom to spend money without feeling bad about it. So the fact that hair costs this much and makeup costs this much is just not something that I feel guilty about when I spend it. 
That's great. Yeah, I think so much of approaching money well with your partner is is how can we think through what the budget looks like, and then in practicality, what does it what does it look like for us to be able to spend money without feeling guilty? Because the more we feel guilty about what we're doing with our money, or oh man, if I do this, my partner's going to disapprove. We really have to be on the same page with that stuff, and and guilt free, I think, is a really important lesson for us for for us all to learn in how we approach money with our significant other but yeah these are great questions from everyone in our facebook group so thanks for chiming in setting us up for a fun conversation here tonight but let's get back to the to the beer that we had on this episode quickly we we drank one called road full of promise it's a, a collab beer by monday night brewing which is local to us and Weldworks, which is a brewery out of Colorado. And it's fun to all get to drink a beer together while having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Ladies, did y'all enjoy this beer? I did. It was good. I really like New England IPAs. I like that style, and I thought this was a really good one. Well, plus this is a 2X, so it's got two times the amount of flavor, two times the haze going on, mm-hmm. and two times the breweries working on it, too. <laughs> that's um, true. <laughs> and I love collaborations, especially when you get one that's between a solid local brewery plus one you've heard of. I've never had... Or shoot, I should say, I think I've only had one other beer ever by Weldworks, and I remember it being really stinking good. But uh, Kate, yeah, what were your thoughts? Did you really enjoy this one? Yeah, I loved it. I love leading question. Sorry, did you really enjoy this one? I really, really, really <laughs> you make enjoy a good it. lawyer, Matt. That's fantastic. I really enjoy a lot of Monday nights beers, so I think this one's great. Well, yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, it's just a delicious beer from two great breweries. And I'm glad we all got to share it together on our beach vacation. Yeah, and wives wanted to thank y'all as well for coming on and sitting down and, and talking with us. I'm sure spending a night recording while we're at the beach wasn't necessarily what you wanted to do, but I feel like this was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. It was great. All right, so that's going to be it for this episode. We'll have show notes up on our website at howtomoney.com, and we'll even have the recipe for... Yeah, I think that's going to be it for the show notes, just the recipe. Just the bread recipe. <laughs> that's it. Everybody, I feel like that is actually a question that has been asked often in our Facebook is group. It really? Yeah. I, I don't know why. I guess it's gotten... Um, it's been mentioned a few times, People a few different times. like so. the bread. Because yeah. it's excellent. And it's even more recipe. now, man. Everybody <laughs> wants to make bread. So all right, we'll put that recipe up. And if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, look for how. To money wherever you're listening to this episode make sure that you are subscribed and if you haven't already leave us a review over at apple Podcasts, and we would really appreciate it so joel kate and emily until next time best, best friends, friends out, out. best friends out Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.